Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, What the f are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. You're listening to Unfiltered with James O'Brien, brought to you by Joe. Hello and welcome to Unfiltered with me, James O'Brien, featuring this week. Uh, man, I'm so excited about this. It's Sean Ryder in the house. Happy Mondays and Black Grape, of course. He's back on tour with Black Grape in September, um, well, through to November. You can find out more at blackgrapeofficial.com. And I am in that horrible situation where someone who I first started thinking was awesome in about 1988, I'm about to meet for the very first time. You were bang on time, which I find a little disappointing. Oh, no, I mean, well, now, you know, being, you know, an old geezer, almost 60, we are bang on time these days. <laughs> I, I mean, so. back in the day, we, we was looking to get the day right. Yes, the well, that's the old line, isn't it, about Keith Richards, I think, said he couldn't write his autobiography because he couldn't remember anything. <laughs> well, yeah. We'll get on to that. And I can remember the 60s better than the 90s. Because <laughs> you, you were born in 1962 in Salford. Yeah. Family, originally, was quite sort of functional. Dad was a postman, mum was a nurse. Nursery nursery nurse. And so, big Catholic family. No stealing, go to church, go to school. Those are the values that your parents tried to. Absolutely, yeah. You went to church. Yeah. Went to church. But the stealing in the school. With with and forced up back, yeah. (laughs) But no stealing and uh, and go to school. They were rather harder to observe. Yeah, yeah. Because I've got I've got you leaving school at about 13 years old? Well, I mean, officially left at 15 and started... Uh, I was a messenger boy on the post office. So your so, dad got you that job, did he? Yeah, my dad and my granddad. I mean, my granddad wasn't in the post, but my actual... My, my granddad sort of went boozing with the head postmaster. Right, right. Um, where my dad was the postman. And you, you, you got the job given you if your family was in there, you know. Yeah. So school was just a... Again, in the, in the 1960s and early 70s, you know, we didn't have any sort of things as, uh, what do you call, learning difficulties or, or things like that. Then, yeah. you know, you was either stupid or, or a trouble causer, you know. So 
I fit into it's probably both. Well, you're not stupid, that's clear. But you feel that perhaps you went, you, you had conditions that went unrecognised. Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. I mean, one of them going to a Catholic school was I was left-handed. And every time I picked up my pen with my left hand, you know, you was, you was hit with the, the sharp end of a ruler, told to pick up your pen with the, your right hand, which... You know, did strange things to my brain. I ended up writing in circles. How do you mean? Well, when it's hit with that hand, yeah. when your pen's in that hand... Every single time, twat. Yeah, and then you have to pick it up with that. Yeah. So you'd be writing with that, then you'd pick it up with that, and my sort of writing then went underneath and round. Flipping it. With the right hand, which yeah. I wasn't naturally right-handed. I was naturally left-handed, like I still played football with the left leg. Sure. You know, so or, or play pool with the left hand. Did, did it ever work? Did any any left-handed kids ever start being right? I mean, it's an astonishing thing to do. I'm sure it didn't it, work. No. I'm sure that you know all that's happened is we sort of became semi ambidextrous, sort of. Except also feeling confused and yeah, yeah. At the side, I didn't know that. The um, but again, you, you know, you're not even thinking that it's confused or it's out of order because that's just how it was and. That was it. And you know no different. Yeah. It's, it's all you know. So there was nothing about it you enjoyed. I'd love to meet the sort of 10-year-old Sean Ryder. I can't imagine you're that different then uh, from what you're like now. Are you just, just a bit bigger? Probably not, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> not much bigger, actually, yeah. Because so, yeah. you were getting... You, were, you, you, you matured quite early. I know you've said in the past you were getting served in pubs at 12. Well, 13. 12, 13. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, and that again, I suppose, I'm, I'm not sure... I'm sure I, I, 12 and 13, I didn't look 18, but sure. not even the platform shoes could have made you look 18, but there was just, you know, taking it's, your... Uh, I think I think it was about less than 10 pence a pint when I started... Uh, it's a big 10 years, because I, I was born in 72 and you were born in 62, and some of the stuff, when you describe those years, it's it's a world I don't recognise. The, 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 the pub being a place where strippers were routine, Bernard Manning, you've said, would come in and tell... Well, that was when I started work. Right, I mean, are. I was 15 okay. when I started work, and that was in the centre of Manchester. Yeah. And at the centre of Manchester in 1978, it was still pretty very much Victorian. Yes. You know, it was still, in my brain, it was still pretty much like an episode of the Sweeney. You know, <laughs> it, it really was. It was black and white. You know, it didn't sort of turn into colour till 1988 when Manchester started to change. But the Manchester in the 70s was, to me, still very... Sweeney-esque, Victorian-esque old school. Yeah. And, and Burning Manning did do the clubs in the afternoon and there were strippers on in the afternoon, you know. And, and because we had a post office uniform on, so everyone thought you was 18 and you was working in the post office, uh, you know, and, and, and we got away with murder. And I, it was one of my best times of my life. You were delivering telegrams as yeah. part of your duties. Yeah, so you had de a proper... deaf telegrams. <laughs> I, didn't, I, didn't have the, I didn't have the scooter. What we did was we went straight onto minivans. Right. But, uh, yeah, I was de delivering deaf telegrams and telegrams telling, you know, people... What's a deaf telegram? Well, when somebody's died and... Oh, you deliver the message to yeah. family saying... Yeah. <laughs> And and then we'd also deliver messages to families telling them that, you know, they had to get out of their house or the flat. You know, and I'm a 15-year-old kid and watching complete families going hiding behind the settee. Seriously. And turning all the lights off. That's if they did have lights. So. Quite an education then. Yeah. I mean, we used to get one of them, you know, have one on me, and you'd think it was a fiver and it was a Johnny. 
<laughs> yeah, well, um, you had a work ethic then, Sean. Oh, God, I had, yeah, I mean, absolutely. Because people yeah. are going to be surprised by that, aren't they? They're going to think that you were sort of swinging the lead or... Well, I, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, I started a band and Monday started when I was 18. The rest of the lads were still at school. So work ethic I had from, you know, I mean, as a six-year-old kid, you know, uh, bagged up our shit from the rag and bone man, put it in plastic bags and sold it to old ladies for the roses. Lovely. Yeah. Where did the uh, music come in then? Well, music, a bit like Jim Royal, you know, the royal family. Our lot, you know, my dad played banjo and accordion. You know, he was a postman, but that was not out of choice. That was right. out of necessity because he couldn't make enough, you know, he had to have a, a steady job as well as doing the clubs. He had a cracker. He was a stand-up and he did yeah, a bit of folk did, music. Yeah, stand-up, folk music, you name it, he had, he had to go at it all. So would they get you up on the kitchen table to perform when you were a kid or would you not just would you just join like in? That. I mean, I'd sort of do one away from all that. I used to my dad's doing that and then <laughs> I would get away from it, you know, and probably go and rob next door or something. So what? Well, hang on, we'll get on to that. So what was the first instrument you picked up? God, I mean, yeah, drums and stuff, things that you could bang. Yeah, you could play a bit. Not really, I mean, no. I mean, I ended up, when we started the band, when I was 18, I ended up, you know, being the songwriter and being the singer because I was the best. You know, my brother took to the bass. Mm. The rest of the lads, one took to the drums better than me. So I ended up doing the job that none of us could do, which was writing songs and singing. So where did that come from? Where did the desire to be in a band? If you didn't have an instrument that you were particularly good at... I think any kid wants to be... It's like, you know... Well, they if don't you, know. You, well, they a lot do. of kids are terrified of being on a stage and having hundreds of people. No, nah, that's a totally different thing, being on stage and, and terrified and that. I Go mean, on. one, creating and, and just doing what you're doing for you is totally different than taking it to the other level and performing. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, whether you're a kid and you want to be a footballer, you know, you don't have to have anyone in the family that plays football, you just play football and. <laughs> but you wouldn't want to start a band unless on some level you were thinking of. Well, I love music. Doing stuff in public. No, I, again, really? no, so yeah, you'd, really. You'd be just happy playing with your mates. And... Absolutely. I mean, look, we got, we got, when you say signed to Factory Records, yeah. Factory Records didn't sign anybody. I mean, our signing only came in the, in the 90s after Pills and Frills had come out. Right. But... So it was a gentleman's agreement, really, when you yeah, put absolutely, put yeah. the first two yeah, albums yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, I mean, until there was actually money to be made and, and, and other offers from other record labels, then there was no signing. Yeah, I mean, Peter Hook's book is pretty expressive of just how chaotic the whole setup was at Factory, isn't it? Well, chaotic's maybe not the right word, but in, yeah. informal. Everything was done. Oh, on yeah, a, absolutely. Yeah. Done on a yeah. wink and I a mean, handshake. Like I'm saying again, I mean, when we first got signed, we wasn't ready for it. For us. We shouldn't have been making records <laughs> as soon as we got making <laughs> so, records. So, hang on, back up a bit. With the lineup, the, the 18 years old, put a band together, was that already the Mondays? Yeah. It was called the Happy. Mondays from the start? Uh, I think it was called something like No Exit. It became the Happy Mondays, which was something that we stuck together out of the Happy Laws from the Echo and the Bunny Men yeah. and, and something else. Nothing to do with Blue Monday. But, sure. uh, but we, because of who we knew, yeah. the next thing we know, we're making records. So you've just got a few mates and you're making music in a garage or in your bedroom. Yeah. And then suddenly you're 
making a well, record. Because we I... knew a guy called Phil Sachs. Go on. Now, Phil Sachs owned a couple of market stalls and sold jeans and stuff. And, and, and we used to sort of give Phil Sachs marijuana and he'd sell us jeans. But then Phil Sachs turned out that his best mate was, you know, Mike Pickering. Superstar the, DJ. Superstar DJ, Quando Quando, mm. uh, Factory Supremo, and, <laughs> and his other mate was uh, Tony Wilson. Right. And because we knew Phil, and Phil was best buddies with them, before we knew it, we're making records, and we shouldn't have been making well, records. why do you say that? Because there's no way Tony Because H... I wasn't really good enough to write. Well, I, they, no, I was learning my craft. in a studio. I know they would, because Tony... Tony, again, likes us. He likes us as people. Got you. Right? Yeah. And he, he sort of buzzed off... He collected people, in yeah, a way. Yeah, absolutely. And he buzzed off us, like, just being, like, you know, a <laughs> bunch of scally kids and this sort of gang mentality, and uh, he likes us. So... And he could see something in us and something creative. And t Tony was also an artist as well. And it wasn't just about being a band. Tony saw us, the way we dressed as art. Yeah. You know, the way we moved together as art. You know, Did you so, realise that at the time? Sort of, yeah. Yeah. Because it's a bit war-holy, isn't it, that idea that you're more than just the product, the medium and well, the yeah, message. Well, yeah, I mean, look, they call factory, and that's well, not by No, of know, course, it's not a coincidence. It's not a coincidence, it's a yeah. Point. And, yeah so, so. But, but, I mean, again, you describe yourselves as scallies, and you've spoken in the past about the buzz you got out of burgling houses. You, well, you, no, let's get that right. I right. mean, look, let, let's not... Say I'm, I'm some sort of adult burglar analysis. I was a kid. Yeah. You know, and, and, and what well, so I have said is, as a 10, 11-year-old, 12, 13-year-old kid, the buzz that I got going through somebody's window and climbing on my belly and then going taking their zap, their wallet, out of their trousers while they're pissed off and fast asleep was a great buzz to me. It was a buzz... It was just an it's amazing It's adrenaline. Buzz. Yeah, adrenaline, it? I, yeah. I, I suppose. Yeah. So just for the record, then, we're not endorsing... But like you said, you <laughs> know, I, I come from a very good family, working-class good family. And so who, who led you astray, Sean? Uh, well, that was the, the, the thousand-dollar question. I mean, <laughs> you know, it was always somebody leading me astray, but it really wasn't, really, you know. <laughs> I mean, if you can get away with that blag that there's somebody else leading you astray, then you go with it. And, and so, I mean, that, that, that three-year window, there then from leaving school to starting the band you, you were just up to all sorts and you were happy and you were having fun the the band comes together almost by accident i mean it was just well no we put the band together because we see it's like anyone you want to be a footballer or yeah. you want to be in bands or you go and join the army and who, who were the bands at the time who were the ones you were listening to so you'd go to i saw you at band on the wall in 1988 who would you have seen at band on the wall in about well I'd, again i don't feel i'd have gone to band on the wall too many times i mean the hacienda opened in 82 yeah and, and the sort of bands that we'd have been going to watch were, you know, from Joy Division to New Order to Orange Juice to Echo and the Bunny Men. The Fall. You know, uh, well, you... again, not the Fall, you see. No, Why we not? never crossed paths with that Fall sort of scene. We just didn't. I mean, Mark E. Smith's a Salford kid, and I later, years later, got on really well with Mark. And, it, and that, again, with Mark, wasn't until he came across my path with the gorillas thing. Right, yeah. You know, I mean, I bumped into Mark in the Hacienda, you know, when he's being Marky e. Smith, and, <laughs> you know, or in the dry bar, and, and we just didn't cross paths. From 82 to 88, the, the, you, 
you're playing, you record. Well, you, what was the Manchester scene? Hollywood really wasn't a scene then, right. was it? I mean, you know, again, for Manchester music, you know, I mean, you see, fashion was a big part of why you first got hooked up with Joy Division because you saw a picture of these guys in the late 70s and they had side partings and the top button fastened and, you know, a pair of moccasins on and, and they looked like you did. You know, right. it was the first sort of band, you know, that you saw that resembled what you was wearing on the street. And were you a were you a sort of connoisseur of music itself? Were you a geek? Well, I, Would you go to I, I the record shops and leaf through the vinyl and look for rare cuts and stuff like that? I'm just, I'm just trying to get a better no. picture of who you were at this age, what you were. What I was was just I was very interested in. I mean, I wasn't, if you know what I mean. I wasn't... I mean, I was a pretty show-off little shit, really. You know, who liked to dress in the smartest clothes. I liked to have money, which there was no way of getting that money except taking it, like a lot of kids today. Mm. Except in our songs, we're not all writing about money and having, you know, uh, rapping about having a big ring and all that lot. I mean, that's... So, but... Yeah, just looking good, trying to get girls and, you know, and, 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 and showing off. I mean, I wasn't a great footballer, I wasn't clever. So, you know, you wanted to get girls, you wanted the smartest clothes and, you know, and, and, and we joined a band because we all liked music and we liked, you know, the Beatles and the Stones and the Doors and, you know, and watching documentaries like Altamont and the Rolling Stones and stuff and, you know, and all the bands like Madness and the Specials and everything else. And rather than, like you just said, going obsessing over the latest this and that, it really wasn't that. The only thing that I really, really had an interest in was clothes and money. (laughs) And when did it feel like the band was working? When did you start thinking, we're all Oh, making money with a band? Yeah. I don't think that even started till... So pills and frills, really. So, the third so when did you start, in terms of making music, when did you start thinking, we're quite good at this? Oh, um Do you know what? All of us have been heavy critics of ourselves. I mean, yeah. we start making our music, and as soon as it's... I mean, we've robbed and took off every sort of genre and every band going, right? But as soon as it started sounding like something... Yeah. If our band sounded too 60s, or it sounded too bunny many, it'd get scrapped, you know? And we really did take off everything but try to smother... You know, try to sort of just make it sound us. I get that. And when did you hear the sound that was you? Well, sort of when we did the first album. I mean, that first album that we did with John Cale producing yeah. it, which is Squirrel and G-Man, pretty much John Cale sort of pressed play and record. There wasn't really any production on that. There wasn't a lot of overdubbing or this or that. John sort of, like got us all sort of plugged in and said, go. We started playing. He pressed play and record. And that was how we sounded at the time on that first album. It was just how we sounded in a rehearsal space. Got you. And, and I mean, how were you processing that? Somebody like John Cale, you, you, you know, a bunch of scallies, put a band together. Well, you it... know what? That didn't even really register. Did it not? No, because... Well, do you know what? If that had been the lead singer out of Mud... Yeah. Then it might have registered more. Oh, okay. 
So it's just but, frame of reference. I mean, again, we'd all discovered Velvet Underground, you know, and, and listening to it and, and, and you know, again, through getting stoned and smashed on various drugs and then put this album on because that goes with that drug, you know, but... <laughs> really going John Cale, he didn't really impress us on anything. In fact, to the guitarist, it meant absolutely nothing. Didn't even know who he was. No. And, and the light, so we've got the lineup now in place on the first album. It's the same as the lineup on the third same album. Same as it always ever has where, been. Where did Bez slot into proceedings? At what point did you sort of. Well, Bez came in around about 83 or 84. The four of them lot all went to the same school, so they all knew each other. Me and our kid went to the left foot of school. We was all from the same area. And uh, and then when Bez, I, I don't know whether he'd either come out of Barstool or he'd come back from wherever he, he'd been, and then we just looked up. It was another local head that you knew from around the area. And me and him started palling around together, again through drugs yeah. and through LSD, uh, he's on stage with us, and I thought that this would be great because this would make our band totally different than anyone else at the time. Because we wasn't, you know, the best musicians. We wasn't the best writers at the time. We was learning, and we, we learned our craft under being sort of signed yeah. and making records. You know, so, I mean, basically, like, Bez looks great, he dresses great, he's going to look great on video, and... He's got to come in the band, and it makes us different than any other band. And it's like, if, I'd, if I'd met you then and I'd said, what does he do in the band, what would you have said? Freaky dancer. <laughs> and, and your best mate. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. Your partner in crime. Yeah. Uh, and what I mean at this, because here's the thing about you, mate, that, that I find most interesting, is I, I've loved the Happy Monday since I was 16 years old, musically, before I knew any of the... Uh, Backstory before I mm. knew about the debauchery or the drugs or any of the naughtiness. I just this album sitting in a valley in North Yorkshire, 16th birthday. My mates bought me Bummed, the second album, uh -huh. and, and I'd never heard anything like it in my life. So I've, I, before I found out about the legend that is Bez and the the, the lost years of Sean Ryder, I, I just thought you were a brilliant band. Yeah, and I think a lot of people watching this maybe, although they'd be familiar with the music. It's almost as if the legend overtook. Well, it, do you know what? It just depends on what age group you're it talking does, doesn't about. It, it, it does. really does. Our fan base now, it, it's really weird. We go from a lot of people that got into us back in the day was at university, yeah. and now they're all doctors and dentists and lawyers. And a lot of people that got us into us back in the day was in prison and read The Sun. <laughs> so we go from basic big Guardian readers and young professionals to Sun readers and, and scallies, and especially with our, later on, our, our sort of blast into reality television. So our fan base goes from, you know, 10 years old up to 80. And what we did was we, because we grew up with the Rolling Stones and the Beatles and then punk and, and watching in the media and what was going on, we certainly understood the power of using the tabloids. And, and music, when we was coming up, it got so boring again. It was like a never-ending episode of a 1976 <laughs> Top of the Pops. You know, I mean, it had gone so boring as well, where I grew up with, like, you know, the attitude of the Stones and Altamont and, and, and the Beatles in Psychedelia and, 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 you know, and the door, all that did sort punk, of stuff. Did punk affect did Yeah, you absolutely. Of course right, it did. Yeah, you know, oh, I mean, yeah. again, and then you've got, got this dormant, you've got this period of hibernation. And then for... after, just before punk, 
it becomes really boring. Well, it, again, <laughs> that happened again in somewhere in in the uh, early eighties. They'd slapped it back in its box, and it was now comfortable for mum and dad again. Yeah. So by the time we was to come back round, it was like, look, we want rock and roll again. We want to go. Yeah, you're not going to lose your record contract because you're having a spliff, and you've got some wild rock and roll stories. So. You know, when I get said, people say that to me, oh, well, all that takes over the music. Well, the reason why we're here today still talking out about that is because we use that as well as the music. And this is what Tony Wilson understood better than almost Absolutely, anybody yeah. else. Absolutely, yeah, of course he did, yeah. It's like f- sides of a cube and every side is as important as the other one. Absolutely, yeah. You know, and, and us being a bunch of numbskulls still understood that. <laughs> That's the thing. That's the magic, isn't it? That's the kind of... I mean, McCartney said something in 1990 about you reminding him of the Beatles during the Strawberry Fields Yeah, phase. in the magical mystery. So, so I'm thinking, what does that mean through his shit days? Or, <laughs> know, it's not pipes of peace. Well, you know what I mean? But it's brilliant. Yeah, I mean, it was, you know, yeah, great. But that's what I mean, though. That's why we're, what Dad were establishing that this this really important musical movement that you were at the yeah, vanguard. Oh, yeah, we absolutely knew what we was doing. That's the thing, isn't it? Yeah, and and, that- and we worked hard. You know, we worked hard on that as well as working hard on the music. Yes. I mean, it's like now how the music business, again, has, has, has come full circle. Now, you can't just be the, the sort of the lone moody rocker dressed in black saying nothing. You've almost got to be now Sammy Davis and Frank again, the whole entertainment thing mm. r- rolled in one. I mean, mm. and again, that's where, you know, you, you learn, you know, the absolute necessity of doing reality television to bring back new fans and keep an old band from the 80s going again. So when you say that you, you, you knew what you were doing, particularly with reference to the tabloids, you mean you knew you were cultivating an image? You were cur- yeah, curating yeah, an image yeah. that suited you on every yeah, absolutely, level? absolutely, yeah. So outraging Middle England Well, uh, we wasn't, again, we no, didn't it wasn't, want... that's not quite the right way of putting well, it. Well, we didn't, you know, again, it, like I say, when we started to make a difference, it had become almost where, you know, the music and the bands was almost like it's safe enough to sell to the parents. Oh, yeah, yeah. So you wanted to give kids something they'd hide, or not yeah. hide, but their mum and dad would be like, yeah. I mean, and I get that laid on me sometimes, you know. Aren't you, know, you responsible for loads of drug habits and all that lot? Well, hang on, wait a minute. So <laughs> shall I go back to my youth and start blaming John Lennon yeah. and, 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 and and the Stones? It comes and, around every generation, you know what I mean? So, you know. It's like drill music now is to blame for the criminality. Yeah, and it? it's just bollocks. I mean, that's the same. <laughs> it's just, just exactly the same oh, thing. That the old that, farts are saying that sort of always, thing. Always, always, always. Always the kids, like drill music. The Cray Twins were obviously listening to drill music yeah. when they embarked yeah. upon their criminal well, rampage yeah. through East London in the 1960s. Exactly. It is absurd. I mean, again, you know, you, you're going to get some numbskulls that, that does apply to, yes. but the majority of people that, whether they're making drill music or not, that do come out of that scene and then become established artists have got it up there. Yeah, of course. You have to. You know, not just the goons that are on the videos talking about shanks and, you know, and everything else. More from Sean in a moment, but here's Russell Kane to tell you about his new show on Joe. Hi, Russell Kane here, and I'm hosting a brand new podcast for Joe, Boys Don't Cry, where I get a bunch of men together and force them to talk about the things we never talk about. Body hair, body shape... 
Why do girls only fancy bastards? All the things we worry about but never discuss. Oh, and I'll also have a girl helping me each week just to make sure we're not talking rubbish. So go to wherever you get your podcasts, iTunes, wherever, and download Boys Don't Cry Now. Cheers, Russell. Now, back to Sean Ryder. When would you have felt that the phrase established artists could be applied to the Happy Mondays? And at what point during the period we've just been discussing? Uh, Well, again, I suppose when you sort of... I suppose when you cross over to Top of the Pops, sort of, and you're not just a darling of the music press, but you then become a responsibility of the tabloid press where you can't, you know, make jokes about getting stoned or that anymore because, you know, they're now laying it on you that, you know, you're responsible for the youth and you're things. You're a role model. So, yeah, you're a role model. And so, you know, but... You know, you turn around to any kid in his 20s and tell him he's a role model, he's just going to go, fuck off. <laughs> you know? He is, isn't You're it? not going to, like, come at it like a 40-year-old bloke and start <laughs> understanding it, you know, and, 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 and weighing into it. I don't know that... Uh, crikey, I'd love to meet the people that you were a role model for. That would be, uh, be educational. Well, it's funny because, be again, they are dentists and doctors and a bunch of cunts that are in prison for life. <laughs> so, you know? A little bit of everything. Um, how, how, how wasted were you getting by this point, by the time Top of the Pop started? Because I've always presumed it was all... None of it was show. None of it was exaggerated. It was all real. Well, again, drug culture was... Right. In 1969, so I'm seven, eight, something like that, um, we get a visit of the police at our school, and that was about the dangers of heroin. Okay. Right? Mm. Not smokable heroin. That didn't come around till the 80s, late 70s, 80s. But in in the late 60s, you know, my class at school was talked about the dangers of heroin, and I'm sat there going, oh, no, that's terrible. (laughs) You know, oh, oh, my... You know, as a seven or eight year old kid, but heroin was around where we was in, in the late sixties and obviously it was a big problem. Yeah. And as a, as, as, you know, if we could all have the values that we had at seven and eight, you know, yeah. I mean, I'm sure that a lot of seven and eight year olds are much more mature than a lot of 15 and 16 and 17 year olds. You've got the head screwed on a bit tighter. Yeah. To they? a certain point yeah, in life. Of course. Yeah. And then it, it, 
Pass her off. Yeah. I mean, and that's just, you know, how it is. So, I mean, these was always around. And, and then in, in, in the north of England, we get hit by shed loads of smokable heroin in the late 70s and 80s, which is very cheap. And as a young kid, you want to try a buzz and, and nothing ever starts off serious. So we're all well having a, a little novel. So drugs had always been there. From But we was lucky enough, again, where I had what I career or wanted to be making yeah. music and everything else. And then they could go happily hand in hand. Yeah. It's pretty much the only job in the world you can do where you don't have to get out of bed first thing in the morning and go out to work. Yeah. So... But we was always hard workers. Yeah, again, this always is... Always hard this workers. Is, I mean, and that was only really when we let it get out of hand. Yeah, yeah. It was when it could get out of hand in a way, because we was... You know, we, we're making albums, we're doing that, and, and we're living, you know, a life that we'd only really dreamed of in our, in our outrageous fantasy. So you can afford pretty much as much gear as you want. Yeah, and, and you know what? And when you're in position, you don't even have to pay for it as well, do you? No, I guess not, because people want to be with you, people want to hang out with you. Yeah, and, and, and probably most of our mates were Edwin dealers <laughs> that you grew up with and sat next to in class and, who, and so who, that, who wanted to be on the guest list. And so now we get to the Top of the Pops years, the breakthrough, the third album, the, the, the fame, the infamy, banned from Top of the Pops for trying to swap places with the star you're trying to swap no no we didn't get banned for that no i mean what it was the first time i ever did top of the pops and it was proper cliche i was told that i would never ever do the show again by the guy who was in charge of top of the pops at the time he told me that you'll never do this again and basically it's because uh you know would I mean, this be step on or kinky no Afro? no what, it, it was before that it was it was either Kinky Afro or Hallelujah. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, you know, yeah, I was yeah. told... I mean, and all as it was, we was giggling, and this guy didn't like us giggling, who was the boss at the time, and and when he told me to shut up, and I'm a young, silly kid, and I... I mean, this guy's probably never been told to fuck off and do one before. <laughs> you know, he's he's the big boss at Top of the Pops, and, you know, some snotty kid says, fuck off, knobhead, do one. Who the fuck are you? Well, I'm the boss at Top of the Pops. Well, I give two fucks. And he never come across that, obviously. And he banned me for life. And by the next, and the mad thing was, by the next time he was there to do it again, he'd gone. Right. So it was a full, you will never darken our doorstep yeah, again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was one of them. Back where the next and when you, comes you know, you, you are going to laugh at that, aren't you, as a kid? <laughs> yes. You're not going to sit up and take attention and, and start going, oh, yes, sir. Well, I don't know, because what you've just done is remind me of, of what came immediately before, which was very... Yeah, like you say, kind of the new romantic. He was very well behaved, wasn't it? So maybe if he'd said that to someone out, well, that's of, what I'm saying. I yeah, know, he, I know. He, if he'd said that to someone out, Duran Duran, they would have they would have pulled their socks up and sort well, of. Maybe so. if they were seriously thinking about their career <laughs> and, and and how it's going to develop and yes. and not ever going to do this show again. But you know, what's the Stone Roses story then? Because I thought well, the Stone Roses story is because we was on our first top of the pops together. Right, I suggested. Oh, man, I would love to. Have I been suggested there. that we are swap places that <laughs> I'll go and play bass uh, for the Stone Manny, Roses for the Stone Roses yeah. Manny can Manny, come and uh, sing and yeah. we'll swap it all around and we was going to do it it was all going to do it because you're miming right well not just because we was miming because no, nobody you get knew away with it was. Well. you get away with it as well well we get away with it because yeah. the guys in the studio didn't, didn't have a clue who we was didn't know that I was the lead singer or, or Ian was the lead singer or who was the bass player you know they didn't have a clue and and I, I 
I was getting the guys to do it, and then at the last minute, someone had the sense to go, no, let's not do this. Right. And, he, and it had been real was good fun. It, was been, it live in those days? Was it? Did it go out live? Or? I'm not sure. You had to still go in and make a live recording of the track that you was doing. Right. You know, but... Uh, yeah, it would. It could have fallen apart very... It could have gone wrong very quickly if you'd gone ahead with that plan. Well, I mean, basically, I mean, we'd have probably looked pretty shit on telly, but it made a great story and everyone can laugh at it. I mean, it's like the first time that I ever had to mime for, for a, you know, a record. And I always thought miming was shit. And I thought, well, I'm not going to mime on this video. I'm just going to go that way. And then when the video was made, it just looked shit. It just looked so crap compared to everyone that was miming that these sort of things you have in your childish head as a young kid, just don't do them. Don't swap over positions in your band and, and please try and mime. Did you feel like part of a movement by now? Because you're, yeah, the, you're in the, listen, the roses and the when Mondays. When we and, did Top of the Pops, yeah. we actually thought we was the Beatles and the fucking Stones. Did you really? Oh, you know, it was that big to us and in our heads, this is like the Beatles and the Stones. You know, I mean, and again, to sort of a few indie kids that at the time knew who he was, but in reality, you know, no problem really knew who he was. A few indie people that bought the records and read The Enemy, but, you know, when George Michael comes on, or Spandu, everyone knows who they are, but he's just fucking these dickheads. You know, there's, there's 27 people read The Enemy who knows who they are, <laughs> and we're being Charlie Big Potatoes. Uh, did you rate them? Did you Were you mates with, with Ian and, and Manny? And, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Proper mates. I mean, were you... Were well, you, were you uh, well, was, know, there was mission. no clique, look, there was none of that clique going on. It used to get me when, back in the day, that, you know, the, the sort of journalists would, would try and string us all together. And, and I used to think, fuck that, I like to take that better than I do the spiral carpets, which, you know, I mean, and, and we're all great buddies now, of and course. Clint's fantastic, and, you know, but it used anything. It's like, you know, I'd purposely go around saying that, you know, I fucking hate this, or I hate that, just because people thought, you know, I, you know, I would like that. Yeah. You know, I'd be into that. So, you know. And as a result of this, it was interesting you talked about Manchester being monochrome when you were growing up, being, you know, because suddenly Manchester went technicolour. Yeah, Not, it did. As a 80, result yeah. of what you're describing. As yeah. a result of. As it, a result of Margaret Thatcher closing down all the industries. Yeah. And then developing this thing for all people in struggling bands called the Enterprise Allowance Scheme. Yeah. Which, are, you know, I thought we was the only band that started on the Enterprise Allowance Scheme, but the more that I've spoke to other bands from our era, we all started on the Enterprise Allowance Scheme. Because it kept you off the unemployment figures. Well, what it did do, right... You, you was basically, you went on the Enterprise Allowance and instead of getting, I don't know, £80 a fortnight, you got £80 a week, Yeah. right? But you was on it for two years, and after the two years ended, you then, if you didn't make it, you couldn't go and sign on for two years. Oh, so it was a risk. It was a, it was a real risk, you know, but, you know, we all took it, we all worked hard. You know, we was on that with, like, guys that was setting up their own shoe shop yeah. and, you know, sausage factory. So you kind of had to, you had to Oh, yeah, you, no, you really had to. I mean, otherwise you was, you wasn't signing on for two years and you'd probably, you know, you'd be nicked for something or caught with a load of class A's. Sure. So money is now being made. Television appearances are happening. Were you in control enough of, of your bureaucracy to, to be thinking about the future? We always thought about the future. But it was in like, terms of security and, and... Even that, I mean, it was like, look, 
here's a great story, right? When Come we on. first did Top of the Pops, our guitarist, right, we all jumped on the chartered plane to get back to Manchester to go and do some more work. But our guitarist jumped on the chartered plane to go back and take his post round out because he wasn't stopping being a postman because there was no security, no pension in being in a band. Blimey. Right? Yeah. So, and this Blimey. is when you're on top of the pops. Yeah. So if you did think too much about security, you know, and we... You see, the thing was, there was none, there was none of this with us. There was no, hey, let's get a job as well as doing this, because if it doesn't work, we've always got this to be backed up, and we'll, we'll get this career going in that, and then we'll, we'll make this pay for that while we finance our being in a band. It was all our fucking nothing. So you had to be at your band, you know... 24-7, 365 days a week and hours in the day. And there was no, I'm going off to work a shift in that thing there. It was like, we're into it. Maybe the guitarist out of the band might have had that. Yeah, yeah. We didn't, me, Bez, and the rest of them. We didn't. It was all in one. You know, we're right, we're right into it and we're going to make it no matter what. And you did. And then it fell... Well, up. we made a living. Yeah, but then, then it went wrong quite... I mean, by the time of Yes, Please... You, yeah. were, you were in quite an odd place. I don't mean Barbados, which is where you made the, uh, yeah, well, the I mean, record, it, it, but this is, where, this is where the cracks were starting to show. Is it? Or the cracks. Well, I mean, look. You see what I did there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, again, you know, I mean, you can either have my side of the story well, or... I want, I want your side of the well, story. Well, my side of the story is, right, by the time we get to make Yes, Please, yeah. right, we just had a, a hit album, right? Massive Number album. two, yeah, Pills yeah, yeah. and Frills, right? And we want Oakenfold and Osborne to make that next album, hmm. right? And what had happened with Oakenfold is that overnight, because of Pills and Frills, they was then getting U2, wanting to work with them, the Rolling yeah. Stones wanting to work with them, all these super, super duper groups yeah. all wanting to work with them. And then when it came back, they basically told our management, look, we want to do this next album, but we're booked up solid. Right. Now, certain elements of our band and our management took that as rude or, yeah. you know, you I'm, should I'm drop grateful. everything I'm grateful. ungrateful, yeah. right? Now, I didn't. It was right. like I could see where they're at. They've done all this fucking work, yeah. right? They've been on a roll. Let's just wait another six or seven, eight months, whatever it is, do an Oakenfold album with Steve Osborne. And then... So the management and a few members of the band, they, you know, their, their egos kicked in. You should be doing this now. So they then decided to go and work with Tina Weymouth and Chris Franks, who are absolutely brilliant artists from the Talking Heads, great producers, everything. Not right for us. Did you know that pretty much? Yeah, right? yeah, straight away. Look, that must the, have been the, a frustrating experience then. Yeah, and that's why we ended up with a very frustrating album. It is, isn't it? Because. You know, I mean, we was used... Uh, the thing about what made our breakthrough album, Pills and Frills, because it was our breakthrough pop album. Yes. It was what to make us... You can't keep on making bummed sure. and squirrel and g-mans if you want to make a living and carry on you've got to give in a pop album it's got you've got to give that to the masses got, yeah, and you've yeah, got yeah, to yeah. do that yeah. right so that's why we should wait for Oakenfold and Osborne and they go with Chris and Tina and and to me instead of working with sampling and beats and very very quickly it went back to basic being a rock band right. and playing on the egos of musicians in the band and it 
didn't work out. And then the rest of the guys that chose to go that way, when it wasn't a hit, they then turn around and go, oh, it's the, it's him and Bezzy's drug problems. And right. this and that. When they've all got drug problems, sure. we all had from fucking day one. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, know what I mean? But yeah. we're still making the right music and everything else. When, when would you have, I mean, would you even at this point have accepted that the word problem had a place in that? Description. The what? The word problem. problem. Because you just said a drug problem. It yeah, didn't sound No, until... no, well, no. Look, it's only becomes a problem when problems come along yeah. Yeah, where okay. you're arguing about who's doing what and this and that and what producer you're working with and then you're trying to make excuses for not take, having the hit. You could be taking even more drugs and making a brilliant album and no one would say you yeah. have a drug problem. Yeah, I get absolutely. It, it kind of Which they didn't for the first two albums. Even though you were just as And actually, into... we was actually all making, uh, you know, money to live by by then. You know what I mean? Everyone, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. you know, it wasn't like it, it, it was before, so uh, I really couldn't see where, why he was all behaving well, the he was. I mean, a lot of that was to do with you make it in a band and things happen and, and everyone has different ways of dealing with things, you know, and success and everything else. And, and then egos take over and, and everything else. And that's all part of being young guys and getting through it. And, and the same thing was happening to the to the Stone Roses at yeah, roughly the same time yeah. as well, wasn't it? You know, and the mad thing was, we'd, we'd all sort of, the only books we'd ever read was, you know, about rock and roll, this, and, you know, and what the Beatles did at that time of life and what they did, you know what I mean? And the Yoko Ono's. Yeah, so yeah, you could yeah, see yeah, all yeah. these sort of it's cliches. Like you're supposed to do it. Yeah, you know, and all these cliches come along and you're going, look, there yeah, yeah. the cliches. <laughs> They're just fucking them. You're having exactly the same thing now and you're falling for it. <laughs> so, well, all right. A couple of things. You tell me whether they're, they're part of the legend or whether they actually happened. Were, were you in Barbados in an attempt to keep you and Paul away from heroin? Yes, and there was no heroin in Barbados, yeah. But there were other things, yeah. as well, which you enthusiastically... But, yeah, I mean, but that was it. We was actually in Barbados as, as well, because that's where Chris and Tina... Of course. ...was pretty much based. Studio. You know, no, yeah. I, I get that. And the other one was, and this kind of helped in the album-making process, that you didn't really get around to writing any lyrics until quite late in the process. Well, again, I didn't get around to writing any lyrics because I didn't feel like I was... There was anything to write lyrics. Look, if if I'm getting exciting, fantastic beats, right, and I'm excited about Boom. the work I'm doing, then you're going to get it all day. I right. just wasn't excited about the work I was being involved in. So the band was never going to survive that. It, no. it breaks up in 93, been various reunions since. Well, I mean, those rest of those guys picked who they wanted to work on the album yeah. and, and they picked where they wanted to record it and everything else. And when it was a fucking failure... The whole thing, they, they then blame me. Yeah, yeah, and, and uh, Bez, and, 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 and the fact that you know me and Bez was like more famous than they was at the time. <laughs> was that which, part of it? Which was you know the door opens for us, but when the rest of them walk in, it gets closed. And that's yeah. not our problem, is it? No, but it's not much fun for them. No, it's not. But do you know what? As a business, and you can that's you work true. it as a business. No, you a write bass lines, you play that, and you do beats, right? Yeah. And we're a business, and we're making money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Fuck your ego. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I get it. That that is what your role in the band is. Absolutely. This and the result of that role yeah. is the door opens. Yeah, uh, are you are you on better terms now? Oh yeah, I mean this is nearly thirty years I ago. Know, I mean, but there's some bands uh, haven't there's brothers that no, haven't I spoken mean, for thirty years. Well, Look yeah, at the Kinks. I mean, I mean um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean. You know, the thing about us was, again, you know, I mean, we made it work out of business and 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 and, and wanting to make money again, which is why you got straight back on it with Black Grape. Well, I mean, we black. What it was with black grape is, 
we was going to be making another Mondays album, and because of the setup with the Mondays, it, there is six six of us, yeah, and, yeah. and and the thing about the Mondays is, it's still to this day, everyone's got a certain say. So you've got. You know, the drummer lives in Canada. You know, you've got our kid in L.A., and they're doing this and doing that, right? And there was a... We couldn't get it to where the Mondays album, the new Mondays album, is going to be made. Right. And me and Kermit, Oakenfold had thrown me and Kermit together by saying, Sean, can you write uh, another uh, football song, you know, for the European Championships? So, you know, we go in my little shed at the back, and we get in there, and we, we get something together, and then... When we've done that, we go, you know what? It was my missus actually said, why don't you two carry on, you know? So she went on social media, started this black great thing, and before we know it, we've got a fucking album. Seriously? You know? Out of nowhere? We got, yeah. All, know, because, all because Paul Oakenfold thought you'd get on quite well together creatively. Yeah, well, Oakenfold thought we could do another football yeah, record. Yeah. Me and Kermit was, you know, we'd we grown up, we, yeah. we're talking and, and everything. So, you know, we just carried on, and, 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 you know, it took us four weeks to make that. And it's that a great album, and, and, and you're writing again in a way that I understand now why you weren't really getting it together for Yes, Please, because well, you're... you're, you're you're liking the music that yeah, you're putting the words absolutely, to. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And that comes across. That comes across on the yeah, opening bar to the album, Look, doesn't it? It's yeah. just you're back, you're happy, you're bouncing yeah. again. Yeah. And then it went wrong again, because by 1997... Oh, know, no, I thought he was talking about new now, with a new what? Black Grape album. Well, no, that, I'm talking about the first one. I'm talking about and the, the first, first one went tits up again, pretty much because... I mean, it always seems to me blaming other people, but yeah. Kermit will put his hands up on this, right? What happened with Kermit was... I'd been in the Mondays, you know, we'd had success. Kermit come from the rap assassin, as he not hadn't really any success. He'd not been used to, like, you know, Top of the Pops and this sort of thing. So Kermit gets his Top of the Pops and all that lot with Black Grape. And the next thing, it's like, he's got that down his ear off cronies. Get rid of the white guy. Fucking hell, you're big in, he's Tupac. Get the, you know, go on, do that, get rid of him. <laughs> so then they decide that they're going to shun that down and he's going to become big in Tupac, him and Carl. Right. So, and then that went tits up, so then that ended. <laughs> and then you have the, the well, I suppose we just have to call them the bankrupt years, would we? From about from about well, the moment... I never went bankrupt. No, I couldn't receivership's go slightly different, isn't well, it? Well, you so, can't go bankrupt. If no. you write songs, yes. right, and you're a writer, you can't go bankrupt. I can't go bankrupt because I never get them back. Got you. You don't get your royalties, you don't get your albums, you don't yeah. get your pension, it goes. You know, there is a pension. Yeah. And everything that you wrote and all those albums <laughs> and everything else, they're gone. Bankruptcy. Yeah, right. Uh, forever. And you never... You, you never get them back. So, so instead, because of sort of shenanigans... So I with, ended up for 14 years in receivership. Which means almost everything you earn. Yeah, of course, the receivers, everything, 100%. And that ended, well, with Pop Voodoo? That was the first? Because you're back well, with Well, that Alan... ended when I went in the jungle in 2010. Right. By the time I went and in the jungle... And you did that for the money, did you, chiefly? I, I, well, I'm, I went for two reasons, right? One, there was a Greatest Hits album to promote, yes. right? And it would also be the first time since 1998, in 2010, that I was allowed to keep any money. Right. So the 100 or 120 grand that I was getting for going in the jungle... I was allowed to keep, and then obviously promoting a Greatest Hits album. Yeah. I mean, it still didn't work out that I got to keep the money because to get me then out of that, which was coming to an end, that all ended up going to lawyers anyway. Right. Because then we had the tax to sort out. Because if you get 100% of your income took off you for 14 years, right, mm. and they take 100%, when you come to the end of it, 
you're still liable for the fucking tax. Yeah, How yeah. can you be liable for the tax when 100% <laughs> gets took off you, of so you don't even get it, but then you're liable for it? <laughs> Did you it? never think of just giving it up? Just so I can't do this anymore. I can't. I well, how would you give it up? I by don't know. by I mean, going bankrupt and then you ended up with nothing. Yeah. So you you've know, got to keep fighting. You know, you just... Oh, you do what you do, don't you? It's not. It's yeah, not, of course you do. So, and, and also you've got a family, haven't you? You've got six children that you've yeah. got to sort of. They need shoes, don't they? Yeah. So school fees paid. All you of know, that. So that. you come out of I'm a celebrity. Pay off all the lawyers. You're finally at the point where you can keep your income. And you start again. At right. 40 odd years old, you have to start again. You sign with Alan McGee at this point. Well, again, or a few years later. Yeah, I mean, again, Alan, you see, what happened with Alan was Alan came along when we just got out of the management, the old management with the Mondays. I, I'd then gone straight away with somebody else. And Alan came along saying, Can I do the Mondays? And I said, Alan, we've just leased it out for six months to see how this goes. So, oh, right, OK. So, uh, and then. When we then start putting the Black Grape thing together, I rings Alan up and said, but what about Black Grape? I, I, I do Black Grape. I, I, I. <laughs> so, uh, so then he's coming in on that. Then the six-month sort of thing we had going with this management, you know, to test to see how it was going. Well, that came to an end. I said, Alan, you want to do the Mondays as well? So, Alan, okay. the last, what is it, three years, three years, I think, I've been with Alan, and he's the Mondays and Black Grape and... And that is the foreseeable future? Uh, yeah. Just carry on making separate... Do, wait, do you have a different head on when you're writing your Black Grape stuff than you do when you're writing your Happy Monday stuff? When I'm doing Mondays, it's pretty much me on my own. Right. When I'm doing Black Grape, it's me and Kermit. So it's it's dead jolly and we bounce off each other and it's not, you know, it's not yeah. as... Uh, intense? Yes, intense. Yeah, I get that. And And so what's next? Pop Voodoo was the last album. Yeah, last I mean, well, we're only just promoting that now. I mean, we met, that came out at the end of 2017, yeah. but we're only now Why? just promoting that uh, because of our things with the Mondays and what we was doing okay. and everything else yeah, yeah, and yeah. other right. TV shows and shit that we had to do. Now we're only sort of just getting onto touring it. So, and if, if I said, because it's a cracking album, but I think you've already answered this, but I'm going to ask you again anyway. What would be a typical... Black Grape fan then at this point in proceedings. Well, again with the Black Grape stuff, it's we've got we've still got the old school. Yeah. But then because of like you know your television stuff and and that and then you know it's just a, a, again we are lucky enough to have you know, it going right across the the board really. And that's a nice uh, place to be. Oh, it's brilliant! So, yeah. yeah, is this the best it's been then? Oh yeah, sure. absolutely! Yeah, yeah. Because you're in a good place personally. Yeah, and it's so much easier now. I mean, you haven't got all the bullshit of being a young kid and <laughs> young lad with all. You know, you don't even know yourself. You don't even know what you're about. I mean, are you even happy with yourself? Yeah. You know what I mean? You don't know who you are. No. So, you? so now, you know, I mean, I'm glad that's all out of the way. So. And you're just going to carry on making albums with both outfits for until yeah. till you're not allowed to. Well, anymore. if you look at you know the Stones and everyone else, and you know and Tom Jones and people in this business, you you, you go on till you you die of uh, old age or you organ failure or something. <laughs> Whatever comes first. What's your favourite bit then? When you're writing, when you're on the stage, when you're now, I enjoy yeah. it all. I enjoy the whole process. Back in the day, I just used to like us getting in a studio somewhere and yeah. inventing and making up and jamming and, and all that sort of thing. I mean, my thing was that, you know, I have to go out and do shows and play gigs just so you can keep on doing that, you know. 
And the biggest change in the industry since you started is that you don't make any money from the records now. You well, only, that's it, yeah. You only really make the money from touring. From touring, yeah. I mean, this is great because back in the day, you know, you, you didn't, you went on tour to sell albums and it cost you so much to, you know, to tour and you took catering firms out and everything and, you know, really... Uh, and you don't really realise it's all coming out of your hand. Oh, yeah, deal, absolutely, yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's a strange one. I used to interview people like you in big, like the Met Hotel or somewhere like yeah. that and you knew with the younger ones they didn't really realise that yeah. all everything that's been stuck on expenses yeah. by the record company is yeah. coming out of your cut yeah. it's coming out of your take it's yeah. not so when you come back the second or the third time around it's all you'll catch a bus well, to the uh, interview uh, and, and, and by the second and the third time you have actually got somewhere to live and something to call home yeah, you know what course. I mean, yeah, I mean yeah, I do, you I end, we ended up milking it just because we really didn't have anywhere to fucking stay upset <laughs> be on the road <laughs> and final question um you're clean now, as they oh, say. Oh, God, yeah. Bicycles yeah. played a big part in this process. Yeah, I mean, uh, it did do initially. I mean, you know, I mean, what happened with me? I, I, I got to 40 years old and I sort of went, wait a minute, I'm living, I'm now 40 and I'm pretty much living the same way as I did from being 15 years old. You know, and I'm now 40, and in my my book, 40 was real growing up. Right, yeah, You know, I mean, yeah. so it was like, whoa, you know, I mean, and and your kids are getting older at the time and this, and you don't want to embarrass them and everything else. And I thought, you know, you, you're sat there. So, you know, all the times before when I did try and get clean and all that lot, I was doing it for other people. I was doing it just because that was the thing to do, mm. you know. So when I hit 40, it took me about five years, but... Uh, you know, I, I got there and, you know, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm all right. I mean, I'm pushing 60. I'll probably die next week. You're pushing 60. You're 56. Well, yes, yeah, so it's not far off fucking 60. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not 59 and a half, is it's it? It's nearer 60 than it is bleeding fucking 50, isn't it? <laughs> it certainly is. Sure, right. You know, and it goes like that, doesn't it? <laughs> Mate, you're a star. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers. Nice one. Oh, that was so much fun. Seriously, we both said at the end, and I've always, I've always, when I'm starstruck, like I am with someone like Sean Ryder, I, I always hope that they've enjoyed it as much as I did. And he said it, he said it at the end, oh, that went as quickly as a seven-inch single. And I thought, it really did. I can't believe it was an hour. I loved that. If, if you enjoyed that even a fraction as much as I did, then you might want to check out Irvin Welsh's episode of Unfiltered. Here's a little clip. Tell me a bit about coming off. Heroin, because you did become addicted. You would, yeah, 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 I was addicted, and it took me a couple of goes to, you know, to come. What made off you realise that you had to sort well, it out? Well, I always thought I would in a way. You did know, you? I mean, I kind of had felt this like a holiday notion from life. The, yeah, yeah, I felt I had this notion in the back of my head that um, this wasn't a place where I was planning to stay forever, um, and uh, it was kind of. Uh, I think the first time I tried to come off it, I wasn't really kind of. Um, I wasn't really sort of particularly honest about wanting to come off at the time. And I think what I actually wanted to do was to kind of, was to decrease the amount I was using so that I could actually go back to kind of enjoying a kind of safer habit, you know. Is that ever an option? I don't think it really is. Right. I think there's a sort of, there's, a, there's an algebra to it yes. that just, you know, that you're kind of just ratchet up all the time. And you're always, even if you can stabilise it, sure. you're almost vulnerable to some kind of crisis in your life kind of propelling you into using more, basically, because it's in your emotional vocabulary by then. So do go back and check that out, along with the rest of the Unfiltered Back catalogue. Don't forget, while you're there, to subscribe to the whole series. Please leave a rating and a review on iTunes, if you don't mind. And if you know someone who might like Unfiltered, especially that one, then uh, tell them about us. You're listening to Unfiltered with James O'Brien, brought to you by Joe. 
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.